God this week has been building in me a sense of expectancy, urgency even, in relation to this message. And so before we try anything, uh, we need to ask God's Spirit to teach us. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we come with a confidence that you not only have spoken through your word, but you want to speak this very moment into our hearts. So that's not the issue. The issue is whether we'll hear it. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray you give us ears to hear. That we, like Samuel from the Old Testament, would say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Lord, might what we hear cause us to apply it. So in all things you'd be praised. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Who here has been to Disneyland or Disney World? Slip up your hand. Wow, a lot of you. That's a fun place. My uh, in-laws made it possible for us as a family to go a few years ago, one of, our favorite, one of my favorite vacations. It was a ton of fun. Uh, fun feeding the dolphins and all those different things around there. But you know where Disneyland began? It began in the mind of a young boy named Walt Disney. You see, Walt lived in a unique neighborhood, and his parents were committed to making their home a place where people not only felt safe, but laughed and enjoyed it. And so he grew up in an environment of people constantly, and kids being over at their house, and it was a great, exciting place. And in his mind, that young boy, God planted a seed, a vision that you and I enjoyed at Disneyland. It all came because of a vision, a vision of a young boy who thought, boy, it'd be great to build a place where families could come and have fun and enjoy being together. Vision. It's key. It's crucial. Because it determines whether a life will be lived with impact or not. Or it would determine whether a life is lived with very little impact. It will determine vision whether a life is fruit-bearing or mediocre. Vision. Both personal vision, like Walt Disney, and corporate vision, like Elam Mission Church. The applications are both, and they're both numerous. Matter of fact, there was a study I read, and I, I, I've read several, and, and they seem to have a couple common themes of churches that are growing, and one of them is they have a future posture. They're future-focused. They look forward with vision. Churches that aren't growing are stuck in the past or in the present. That's not the posture of our elders, I guarantee you that. We're blessed to have an elder board that is a vision, vision group, visionary group. The background to the text we're reading, I need to make five key things about it, five things to bring us up to speed to Numbers 13. One is there's been an exodus. God has shown himself strong by setting the Israelites free from Egyptian bondage. He did it in miraculous fashion. So God's people, there's been an exodus. And under Moses' leadership, God's chosen people arrived at the edge of the promised land. You read it the last verse of chapter 12. They've arrived at the border. This promised land, I couldn't help but thinking these people's hearts must have been beaten a little faster. I mean, think about it. This promise that was given to Moses years ago, now, they're on the edge of it. They're on the brink. They're on the horizon of this promise 
They had to have been excited. They had to have been chatter about it. This is going to be great. It's right there, guys. It's right there. We're on the edge of it. That's where Moses' leadership has brought them. This new territory was theirs to claim. Chapter 13, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. It's a promise. The new territory was theirs to claim. God promised it. He also told them, You'll have to invade it. There's going to be some battles. But I promise you, I guarantee you, it's yours. No one else on earth had a better deal in battle than the Israelites. God promised victory. Verse 3, we read, So Moses sent from them the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord all these men who were heads of the sons of Israel. God commanded Moses to spy out the land. In order to plan intelligent battle strategy, he, was, he sent some few selected leaders. These are the leader types. Matter of fact, if you read verse 4 through 16, you find these leaders mentioned. These are leader types. That's who's sent here. These are the people who should be claiming God's promise and leading God's people to accomplish what he had laid before them. Now, it's interesting, and I need to highlight this. Not once do we read the spies were asked to give their opinion about whether they should go into this land or not. That was not their assignment. God sent the, commanded Moses to send people to spy out the land, to note what is in the land, to note the people. But not once were they ever told to give their opinion whether they should go in or not. Because their assignment was clear. Explicitly clear. You read it in verse 17 through 20 of Numbers 13. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country and see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. And how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? And how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time first ripe grapes. Once they found out these things, mission accomplished. They were supposed to come back and report on that. But never once did Moses say, when you come back, advise us whether we should go into this land or not. Never once. That wasn't the issue. The territory was theirs to claim. Period. These spies were just sent to spy out and bring some information back. They're told to scope out the land. To do a quick secret reconnaissance mission, if I may. It's in this text, though, we, we really learn factors that affect living with vision. Both personal and corporate. I think it's helpful at this point maybe to define vision. Albrey Moffers has a great uh, definition. He said, vision is a clear and challenging picture of the future as one believes it can be and must be to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Another definition is the ability to see God's presence, perceive his power, to focus on God's plan, even in spite of obstacles. The important factors of vision are, is vision is always challenging. God says to the, the, the Israelites, go invade and take. That's a challenge. It was one of the report back, led them to know it would be a challenge. The vision's clear. This promised land is yours to take. That's pretty clear. The vision's a mental picture. If you 
back in Exodus 13.5, God said this land, and he gave them a vision picture, is flowing with milk and honey. It's a visual they had. It's flowing with it. Not some, but it's just flowing with milk and honey. Vision becomes a mental picture that God puts in our mind. Vision's in the future. It's greater than sight. It's deeper than a dream. It's broader than just an idea. It's in the future. And vision is compelling. It's the idea of this must happen, or else I haven't accomplished what God called me to. This must happen in my life. My personal vision, which I keep in my wallet and I try to read on a regular basis to keep it fresh, one of the elements I believe that I must do by the end of my life is to continue to mentor a new generation of leaders. As I look back in my life, I want to see that, that God allowed me to impact people, that there'd be pastors and there'd be people serving because God allowed me to invest my life in them. On my deathbed, I don't want to look back with regrets and say, you know what, God gave me this vision, but I didn't do anything with it. It's one of my great fears, is that people at my funeral would say, well, he lived a nice, mediocre life. That would be horrible. I'll roll over my grave if that happens. I don't want that. Vision is compelling. It, it, it propels you forward. And that's Caleb and Joshua's attitude, which I love. Now, if we pick up the story in chapter 13, verse 25 through 27, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So far, so good. Look at this fruit. It's incredible. They're probably munching on it as they show it to them. In verse 27, Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Beautiful. They stayed for 40 days. Everyone's excited. They're seeing this fruit, and they're thinking how great it's going to be because this land is flowing with all this. Think about the fertile land. Great picture, great excitement. Then verse 28 comes along. Nevertheless, the report says, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and Jebusites and the Amorites. They're living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. In other words, these people are everywhere. So that's the report. There is all these things, guys. But we need to tell you something. There's some obstacles in the way. Verse 31 the men who had gone up with him and said, we're not able to go up against these people. They're too strong for us. On the edge of the promised land, God had promised it for years. They're on the edge. They go in and see that this land is indeed everything God had said, even more than they could have pictured. All of it, they come back and say, yeah, it's true, but we can't go. They're just too big. They're too num- numerous. In other words, as we take our tape measure out and measure, the obstacles are just too big. For who? Through whom, whose eyes are they seeing this? Not God's. They didn't wear ties like this. <laughs> their ties were, they're too big. We can't go. And that's the report they sent. The ten men went beyond their assignment. They weren't to advise. It wasn't part of their assignment. What had happened? 
mental resistance had settled in their mind. The obstacles had become resistance in their mind. When that happens, I'm reminded mental resistance is really the thing that replaces vision. I read this and I'm reminded that people naturally live with this mental resistance, with a restrictive mindset. No one else to blame. It's not really the obstacles that are the problem. It's not that the people are too big or they're too numerous. It's just that these ten have a mental resistance to what God wants to do and what God has promised. I coached a church several years ago. We were talking about vision, and I said, okay, you've told me some compelling things that you believe God wants you to do. What's stopping you? And here's their list. This is their list. Tradition. Rules. Expecting someone else to do it. We don't see a kingdom mindset. Stages in life. Overthinking things. Fear of failure. A focus on the negative. The size of our facility. Narrow thinking. Inward thinking. A low view of God. Status quo. That's their list. They said this is what's stopping us. Mental resistance. And when mental resistance creeps in, it replaces vision every time. But the reality is we need to be aware there's interrelated factors in this world we live in. And they do press on us. We need to make sure we press through them. One is that the reality, we live in a negative, hostile world. I mean, people around us tend to focus on the negative. They tend to focus on what's wrong, not what's right. What's missing, not what's present. If you don't believe me, listen to your coworkers in the cafeteria. Matter of fact, it's rare you find someone who has a real positive, forward-thinking focus. It's because it's the world we live in. And the world also we live in is engulfed in mediocrity. Without the motivation of divinely powered insight and enthusiasm, people tend toward the average of the majority. I believe E. Stanley Jones is right. He says, most people plot and plan themselves into mediocrity. While now and then somebody forgets himself into greatness. That's good. Most of us plan and plot ourselves into mediocrity, but every now and then, someone forgets themselves into greatness. We're engulfed in mediocrity. It seems that people are content to live that way. They just want to get through life. That's it. God wants something far more for his people. The reality is, most choose not to live differently. Now notice in this text how the negative spread. These ten spies gave a negative report and it began to spread to the rest of the congregation. And you know what? When we choose mediocrity personally and corporately, you know what's missing? Courage. Courageous vision. The ability to see beyond the majority. But individuals and churches that live with vision are courageous people. Because that's what it takes to live differently. What's the value of vision? With the majority lacking vision and short-sightedness, it took its toll on God's people. But the good news is, there was another report. There were two men who brought another report. Two men who were daring enough to believe what God said. Daring enough to believe in God's power. To embrace His presence. These two men are heroes. Their name's Caleb and Joshua. 
Now note, they saw the same thing the other ten did. Same exact thing. They knew how tall they were. They knew how numerous the people were. They saw it all. They saw how fortified the cities were. They saw the same thing. But they had something the other ten didn't. It's called vision. Believing God's promises. Trusting in God's power. One was named Caleb, the other Joshua. Later in chapter 14 we read, they ripped their clothes when they see Moses and Aaron on their faces before God. In other words, they say, hey guys, there's another side to this thing. There's another issue at stake. We need to see through the eyes of faith. And that's how they called the people too. They had vision. And there's great value in it. Verse 9 of chapter 14 Caleb and Joshua said, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of land, for they, are, they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see, when we live with God-directed vision, there's no room to be frightened. There's no reason to be intimidated. This was a time to move forward in confidence for God's people. And they didn't. I listened to... G- read Caleb and Joshua's uh, a speech to the people, and I'm excited. I'm like, let's go. Surely they said that, right? No. They said you're out to lunch. There's no way we can pull this off. Appreciate the excitement, Caleb, Joshua. Appreciate the little rah-rah speech, but not going to happen. Why? Mental resistance. It'll stop you every time from living with vision. So after their speech, the people don't applaud they say you're wrong. So don't tell me people who live with vision are not a threat to other people. Here are two people we admire. We're men of vision. But the majority doesn't think so. Now we're not studying ancient history only here. This is truth that should be lived out. That needs to be lived out. I fear in our hero-worshiping culture that we forgot who the heroes are. Every time we have a missionary stand here, I guarantee they're people of vision or they never would have gone. They envision God somehow using them. The Sunblads, the Westmans, those are heroes. They look forward and believe God could do what He's called them to do. They looked at vast vistas of ministry. Those are our heroes. Children, Those are the people you should look up to. When they're here, they're the people you should listen to. They prompt in us a passion. They compel us to see things we wouldn't see. And I observed something in this account. The first thing that got tossed when they resisted was courageous vision. The ability to see God's presence. To perceive God's power. To focus on God's plan in any given situation, even in spite of the obstacles. You see, vision's the opposite of numbering the people. Vision's the opposite of measuring their weight. Vision's the opposite of looking at the fortified city. Vision's the opposite of comparing the odds. Because when that's all we do, there's one result. Intimidation and defeat. Personal vision often is born when we're so moved by a need or a situation that you ask God to turn it into an opportunity. Because really what vision does is it clarifies direction. 
It prompts passion. It invites unity. It bridges the present with the future. Vision attracts commitment. It provides purpose. It motivates giving. It energizes people. It fosters risk-taking. Yes, vision requires risk. It's not a missional endeavor that God has blessed that didn't take risks. God seems like He's always calling us to take steps of faith. Because God's people often walk by faith, not by sight. I'm quoting, not myself, quoting Apostle Paul. Sometime not long ago, our church elders and deacons and council crafted a vision of where we believe God would have us go. I want to read some excerpts of it because it's rich in this whole idea of vision. We envision conversations in our community, a growing awareness within our community of Christ and of Christ's people. We envision inspiring corporate worship, leading people into a deeper personal worship. It's a vision that says as we corporately worship, we envision people on their knees in their living room worshiping God Almighty. We see it. We look forward. We envision lots of smiles, a welcoming atmosphere, extra caring touches. We envision an active presence and contagious joy in our communities. As we walk through the marketplace, we see the joy of Jesus on faces. We go to Shopco. We see a contagious, authentic Christian life being lived out and people seeing it. We envision a result in a church-wide intentional pursuit of lost people. Young and old, in their sphere of influencing, telling their neighbors, their peers, about Christ. We envision warm, safe, intimate groups called community groups. Get a load of this. We envision 90% of all attendees in, in a community group. There's not one church I've ever read that has 90% involvement. Church studies said you're lucky to get 50. That's not what we envision. We don't envision 50. We envision 90%. And those other 10% getting close and ready. That's what we envision. 90%. And so you're going to hear a lot about community groups because we believe they're the key to us growing wider and deeper. That's what we envision. People growing, loving, crying, smiling, praying, supporting each other that we are not really able to do to the degree we can in community groups. We envision hundreds choosing to be baptized every year as a result of a fall devotion to Christ. We envision significantly increasing the number of ministry leaders that have a sense of call. We envision those things. We envision a new facility that would support our mission and vision. And the significant thing about this context of vision, the significant thing is we know there's going to be risks. We know we'll be stretched. We know there'll be obstacles. We know there's going to be things that we'll measure. We'll look at. The data won't add up. But that we're going to have to walk in faith. There's things in your personal life. There's obstacles in your personal life that you're going to want to surrender and say there's just no way I can accomplish this for God's glory. But then you need to remember 
there's another report. The report of two guys who said God is able. He has great power. His presence is real. A God-directed vision, we can walk in faith and see beyond the majority. But there's essential ingredients I want to close with that you and I need to learn from Joshua and Caleb to live with vision, and they are essential. One is your attitude. A. When we live with vision, it affects your attitude. Caleb and Joshua said, we should, we need to do this. We must. They had a future posture. They had a positive posture. They were not defeatists, either one of them. If we had two more boys, I guarantee I'd name them Joshua and Caleb. If, you don't, if you're pregnant and have a boy, I think you should consider these two. What great names. I mean, what great names to launch them into the world. Attitude. You know what? You can't change your past. We can't really change the future. The only thing we can play on in the immediate is our attitude. It's going to take attitude if you're going to live with vision. It's also going to take belief. Belief in the Word of God. Belief in the power of God. Belief in the plan of God. It's going to take belief. Chapter 13.30, Joshua and Caleb, we shall surely. Chapter 14.8, He will bring us the belief that He can do it, provided the freedom to walk in faith. It's going to take attitude. It's going to take belief. It's also going to take capacity. What I mean by that is the willingness to be stretched. We should all feel like Gumby. We should always feel in our life like God is just stretching us, taking us places we never dreamt. You see, when God has you and I look at our Canaan with all its obstacles and formidable foes, He says it says an effect to you and I. You must be willing to be stretched. You and I have to allow our capacity to be invaded by His power. Capacity. You see, alleged impossibilities are opportunities for our capacities to be stretched. It's going to take D. It's going to take determination. It's going to take hanging tough. A constant focus on the God who is able. Even when the Israelites went to the promised land, it took a constant focus because the obstacles were still there. They didn't disappear. They were still tall, still formidable. Everything was there, just like it was. It takes determination. Chapter 14, 9, do not fear them. Yes, there's obstacles. No denying it. We need to press on. And it's going to take E. Enthusiasm, expectancy, use whatever word. You expect to see what God's given you eyes to see. I love the root of the word enthusiasm. It's enthos from the Greek, and it means God in that cool? We can be enthusiastic because God is in it. Matter of fact, if we're not enthusiastic, I wonder if we're questioning whether God is in it. Expectancy, enthusiasm. Vision is wide, eyes wide open. So look around you. What does God have you most concerned about? Look within you. What are you passionate about? Look above you. Where's God leading you? Look beside you. What are your resources? And ultimately, look beyond you. 
through the eyes of faith. Helen Keller once asked, what would be worse than being born blind? She replied, to have sight without vision. I think she's right. What would be worse than being born blind than to have sight without vision? Even in a negative world where the majority says you can't, it's impossible. There's too many obstacles. Let's be like the two, Joshua and Caleb. Let's trust God today through the eyes of faith. Let's resolve to be different, to live an impacting life. Because it's time to start seeing beyond the majority. It's called vision. And let's continue to learn to live and to see with vision, both personally and corporately. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, I'm so thankful for your word. It's so relevant. As we look back at an account in Numbers, I'm amazed how much it speaks to us today. Your word indeed is living. Indeed is active. It does cut. This morning you've done surgery. You've cut away some resistance. Lord, you've cut away excuses. Lord, maybe you've cut away just mindsets and strongholds. God, it's my prayer that both personally and corporately you would give us eyes to see, to perceive your power and your presence, to seek your plan and to move forward with an attitude and a belief that longs to have our capacity stretched. And Lord, those moments it's hard, give us determination. Lord, help us to live with expectancy that you are able to do exceedingly more than we could ever comprehend or imagine. Help us to see, to have eyes, even more to have vision. And we know none of this is possible without the strong name of Jesus working in us and through us. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.